This is an ABC podcast. Dee Salmon here and I'm with my gorgeous, gorgeous producer, Pip Rasmussen. Hello. Today, a topic we're going to be talking about, I think everyone can relate to. Yeah. This is going to be a big episode. Whether you have a low libido, no libido, or a super high one, or in between, like there's something for everyone in this episode. So yeah, definitely strap in. What would you say your sex drive is like, Pip? I think mine is probably on the average to low end of things. Um, I think that I would like it to be higher. I'm keen to get into this and figure out if that's possible. I'm one of those people who it changes constantly. Yes. Which is something that we will talk about in this episode. But, you know, I haven't been in a relationship for a long, long time. So sometimes when I am in one, it's like higher. When I'm going through a pandemic, it's like non-existent. So it's such a like, yeah, it's such a roller coaster of a thing. And when you're in a new relationship, I will say that's when it's like the peak for me. Oh. Like as soon as you start seeing someone, you're like, yes. Constantly. But then it kind of just like peters out a little bit sometimes. I don't know. But no matter what your libido is... What happens if your partner is completely different to you? It can cause a lot of tension in your relationship. You know, you might not feel as close to your partner. You might be thinking, are we compatible? Should I continue in this relationship? But I really, really love them. And if it's something that you've been initiating and you keep getting rejected, how do you deal with those feelings too? There's so much to chat about when it comes to libido, especially having mismatched sex drives. So we're going to cover that all in this episode. This topic really took off when we put it up on our Instagram to find out your hot takes. And I think this is also the most DMs we've ever received about a topic. And this is something that for the past couple of years on The Hookup, we've received emails, messages with people saying that they're dealing with mismatched libidos. Yeah, everyone had something to say about this and it's very relatable. So it seems like a lot of people might be struggling with this during their relationship right now. And it's also not just long-term relationships, D. We've heard from people who have just started seeing somebody and even within like two months of that new partnership their libidos just start to misalign so this kind of mismatch or this gap in libidos can strike whenever and everyone always thinks that people are having more sex than them yes (laughs) that was something that we also saw we had so many different responses from people and you know it went from like two times a day to once every six months like it was so varied and I would say from like the so many responses that we did get on our Instagram like there wasn't a particular time frame that was like more majority if that makes sense like it wasn't like everyone was saying like every day it was so varied over like so many different people so basically there is no quote unquote normal and all the research pretty much backs that as well it's so varied everyone is so different Someone who was feeling a bit insecure about how little sex they were having is hookup listener Amy in Woodjuk Noongar, Perth. But yeah, Amy got in touch and she told us about how she and her girlfriend have wildly different libidos. It's been a bit of a work in progress for both of them, uh, figuring out, you know, what's comfortable and how to satisfy each person. But still, it's been quite difficult three years on in the relationship. I think I have quite a low libido. It's hard to tell because everyone would probably measure it differently. But personally, what I've heard from my friends, I think that I have a much lower libido than anyone that I know. How often do you think that you would like be maybe in the mood 
for sex or maybe in the mood for masturbating or in the mood for any sort of like, you know, sexual thing? Probably I would say maybe once or twice a month, maybe, which I think is not very often. I think when I was younger, more of a teenager, like fresh 18, it was much higher, but I don't know if that was just because I was out exploring the world and being able to drink and becoming um, an adult and learning to party and all of that. So I think the excitement of that contributed to libido in just the way that I was going out and having fun and it was all exciting. But I think as I've grown older and I've settled down with a partner, I don't think I've had a lower libido. I think I've just gotten more comfortable voicing when I don't want to have sex. So I think it's always been lower, but now that I've got a long-term partner who I love, I think I'm more open to saying no when I don't want to. I started um, on the pill when I was 14 for acne. So I was on that for about 10 years. So I don't really have a baseline of what my libido would be prior to that because I was on it for so long. But about two years ago, I thought that I was just never in the mood for it and it was making me like aggravated and just, I, I was, my moods changed all the time. So I thought this might be an option for me to try to see if it will change based on my hormone levels. Um, my partner is also a female. So we thought, look, there's no need for me to actually be on birth control. I'm going to go off it and see if it's going to change anything at all. Um, I think it did over a couple of months. I kind of, it got better. I definitely was in the mood more, but I'm, I'm still, I've been off it for two years now and I'm still it's once or twice a month. So it's, it hasn't had a huge impact. Let's chat a bit about your relationship with your partner. So how long have you both been together? So we've been together for almost three years now. Okay, cool. And what, like, how would you describe their sex drive in comparison to yours? She has a much higher sex drive than me. It's hard to kind of tell where we're both at because in the beginning, we were having sex a lot more than we now. I think that's because we're so excited and everything was fresh and we're getting used to each other. And um, now, like I said before, now that we're more comfortable, I think I'm just more comfortable saying no when I don't want to. In the beginning, it was probably maybe every day. <laughs> um, and now she, she would probably go a couple of times a week, three or four times a week, but I'm yeah, nowhere near that. For me, I'd go once or twice a month. I can always tell when she's trying to make a move or she starts putting it on and I'm like, oh, you know, I've got to get up in the morning or I feel a bit sick. And I feel bad because I do find myself brushing her off quite a lot. I'm very, we're very lucky that we have really open communication though. So we are able to talk about it. And in the beginning, we didn't know what the issue was, whereas we sat down and had a conversation. We were able to unpack everything. And I wasn't saying like, no, I'm not rejecting you because I don't love you or I don't want to have sex with you because I love having sex with you, but I don't feel like it. So I'm very lucky that we've had those kind of conversations, but it's still a bit uncomfortable and awkward when I have to say, oh, not now, not now. And I feel like I'm rejecting her and she feels rejected and it's just horrible. Right. Let's get straight into this. We spoke to Tanya Coons, a sex therapist who knows a hell of a lot about libido and speaks to clients about this around the clock. Before we get into the nitty gritty, we wanted to ask her first up, what is 
elevator. So it's a willingness to engage in sexual activities or to seek out sexual objects or activities. And that that can have internal motivators and it can have external motivators. And curiously, we may act upon them or we may not act upon them. It's very surprising often that people with lower libidos do feel horny, do have desire, do want to do things and have interests but sometimes they don't say anything or they act on it. So the that sort of gap between people gets a bit bigger. Okay, but something that you and I were really curious about is whether it's like set in stone too when you're born. Like, you know what I mean? Like you, you, you come out and then <laughs> the world is like genetically, you're an eight out of 10 with libido yeah. or like you're a two out of 10 in libido. Oh my like, God, I was thinking two as well. Sorry. <laughs> is that your number? Yeah, that's my number. I'm trying to think of what I would be. I don't yeah, know. Actually, what Depends. Would you be? Well, I'm so like I said, I'm such a roller coaster. Yeah, I think I'd probably range between like a four and a six, maybe, mm. depending on what the environment is that I'm in. Totally, totally. I reckon I range too. Like it could be a four to a six, seven. Anyway, here's what Tanya says. Some people have a bio- a low or a high biological set point. So there might be some people that are just born very, very, very horny and want to have a lot of sex. And there are some people that might be born, no, thank you. I'm not interested in that at all. Yeah. And Tanya went on to say that you can see this kind of biological thing in people. Let's say if you're asexual, where you have little to no sexual desire. Uh, Of course, we wouldn't say that's a blanket rule that you have zero, but yeah, there's definitely less there. But then on the other side of that, Tanya mentioned people who have sex addiction. They're most likely hardwired from birth to have a more kind of hectic sex drive. Um, You know, there's something else going on there as well. Wouldn't it be interesting to feel like, you know, born in a different way and have like that higher number, like what we were talking about before? I don't know. I'm, I'm just like, wouldn't it be weird? I want to know what that feels like. <laughs> yeah, because you hear people talking about their sex drive and you're like, oh, no, I don't. I can't relate. <laughs> yeah, no, that's me. I'm literally like, oh, yeah, that's that's definitely not. I would not do that, but I I want to know what that feels like. I know you keep being like this whole week. You've just been like, I really want to boost my sex drive. I know. <laughs> I'm going to be complaining about this whole episode. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that is something that we are going to get into a bit later on. Let's get into what can actually impact your libido, making it go higher or making it go lower. Well, the answer isn't easy or very straightforward. And honestly, we could fill 30 minutes with just the reasons alone. But if we do try to simplify it, this is what Tanya reckons. It's depending on us, on the environment around us, on our bodies, a whole bunch of things, on our previous relationships, on our current relationship. There's about, I think for as many different people as there are, there are many different influences on our libido, whether that will push it up or down or you know, in one relationship, it may look like this. And in another relationship, it may look like that. Yeah. So there are countless ways that it can vary, but we can get really specific with it. Things like sexual shame depends on your religion, your culture, your community, body image and self-esteem. I can't tell you how many times I've sat across from beautiful, beautiful, beautifully formed people who say, if I only lost two or three kilos, I might be more attractive and people might want to have sex with me. Um, Trauma, abuse, Uh, what community do we live in, whose pleasure is prioritised? Because sometimes it's not everybody's pleasure. Sometimes only one person gets to be featured in the show. Is there entitlement to sex? Is there a duty to provide sex? These sort of things can really dampen people's enthusiasm. Stress is a huge factor. Like 
let's remind ourselves that we are living through complete unprecedented times. Like the pandemic, climate change, the world around us is definitely something that's weighing us down. It's something that I've noticed in myself over the past couple of years and Tanya has seen it in her work as well. We mustn't forget the sort of psychosocial things that are going on. So the whole world is vibrating at a high level right now in terms of anxiety and stress. It's not obvious, it's in the background, but this is the stuff most therapists are seeing all the time. Sex therapists are seeing heaps of it, that people are like, what is wrong with me? I'm just not feeling myself. Some people are wanting more sex than they ever did because it's life-affirming and it makes them feel like they're, they're coping or something is under their control. Other folks are like, oh, I'm just so not interested. My nervous system is freaking out. I'm, I'm not there. There's also medication. This is something that so many of you messaged us about, how things like antidepressants, maybe the pill, have mucked around with your sex drive. It's such a huge factor, and Tanya can back that up. The SSRI antidepressants, which are the most common ones on the market, the research done on that has shown that 70, upwards of 70%, maybe 74 or 75% of folks will have some sort of impact on either their desire or the level of stimulation they can feel, or both. Let's talk hormones too, because that plays a massive role. Yeah, we actually spoke to a listener last year called Daryl, who had just transitioned, and they were taking hormones, and their body was changing, and their libido just like shot through the roof. It kind of added a an extra layer of strangeness, because I'm asexual as well, so... Um, <laughs> that was a big shock for me. My libido shot right up. <laughs> um, and I kind of just, just said to her, is this how people feel all the time? Yeah, so going from asexual to just like feeling all these horny emotions, like how wild would that be to go from like zero to 100 to have that switch flipped? Yeah, it's something that I think a lot of trans people have experienced when they go on hormone replacement theories. Like uh, we spoke to Elle from that documentary on ABC, Girl Like You, which if you haven't watched it, it's incredible. You should watch it. But when she transitioned, she said that the way her libido kind of dropped and the way that she thought about sex was completely different. Yes. Anyways, it was something that I wanted to explore a little bit further. Uh, Tanya had some really interesting insight into how long this libido switch up lasts. When people initially start taking hormones, it can be quite an increase or quite a decrease in desire, depending on what they're taking. But that tends to iron itself out over a few years. So it depends on how much transitioning, what they're doing, what the response is. But a lot of things uh, can impact that within their relationships. They might be with a partner and if they're transitioning, their partner might struggle. They might find with the introduction of hormones, they're suddenly attracted to a different, um, different gender or different sexual orientation. It's as varied as people are when they're going through these experiences. Mm, and I think that's something that Tanya could not stress enough. It is so varied from person to person and there are so many personal factors that can influence your libido. Like we've been saying, it's such a huge, complex thing and, you know, <laughs> quite hard to fit in a 20-minute podcast. But, yeah, just something to take into consideration here. Right, so taking into consideration now everything that makes up a libido how do we find a solution to mismatch libidos? Is there anything that you can do? Well, something that Tanya spoke to us about was the difference between spontaneous desire versus responsive desire. 
Now, bear with me. I'd never really heard of this before, um, and it sounds a bit complex, but it was a really good explainer to help us understand libido a little bit more and why we might have the idea of sex drive so twisted. Let me differentiate between spontaneous desire and responsive. Spontaneous is what we see in the media and in the movies. You know, it's that tingling in the loins, oh, I'm feeling really horny, I want to jump on you or I want you to jump on this. And it's, it's very sexy and everybody knows that. It's equated with lust and spontaneity Um, and that's what we get at the beginning of relationships because when we meet a new lover our skin hits their skin and goes oh my goodness somebody new gets very excited and we get a flush of hormones because we're hardwired to find a mate so that makes it really easy to get to sex and to do fun things and it's great it's really really great fun it's all the falling in love stuff so (laughs) that that period of time is called limerence and that for most people lasts between six and 24 months right and then gone are the chemicals that means then you've got to work a little bit harder at your intimate life you don't get to ride off into the sunset and fuck happily ever after you've got to put some effort in and you've got to prioritize and this is where the responsive desire comes you might be sitting on the sofa reading a book and not thinking of sex at all and your partner could give you a foot massage or just even say hey how about it and uh that way you might say yeah actually i could do that i'm going to make a decision to have sex rather than feeling it in my loins and then the things that we get up to in that time um will help me arouse and it'll be just the same as if I started off by feeling the tingling in my underwear. Can I just say, I've actually never heard of the term limerence before, D. I feel really silly. Like, why have I never heard this? No, you have. It's just normally called the honeymoon period. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So limerence is like the, I don't know, I guess more intellectual term or the term that people use when they're talking about relationships and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, it's the honeymoon period. So kind of like what Amy was talking about before when she said that when she started dating her girlfriend, they were having a lot more sex they were in that honeymoon period and then obviously now they've been together for three years it's calmed down a bit and you know she's not as keen to have as much sex yeah but tanya basically said that this is something to keep in mind that you will have the honeymoon period and then sex then becomes if you've been with someone for three four five six years however long something that you need to work on Yeah, and that's where the responsive part comes in. So before with the limerence, it's like, oh, it's spontaneous. I'm just horny for no reason. And then as you go on in that relationship, as you're saying, you need to start working on it in a responsive way. And and something that Tanya said was basically like, if you are feeling like you've been with your partner for a long time, you've got mismatched libidos and you want to work more on your sex life, change the way that you think about sex in regards to like it doesn't necessarily have to mean sex like the whole thing penetrative sex whatever kind of sex you're having like your idea of sex can completely change so if your partner has the higher libido and you have the lower libido for them they might just be happy with you know masturbating mazzing a little and you just being there yeah like that could be enough for them and then if you're not really feeling that sexual you don't have to do much And when you go into it with that mind frame, you can actually kind of turn your mood around. So like, let's say you're not really into P&V tonight and you're like, let's just maybe like mutually masturbate, right? And maybe the person who's like a bit more apprehensive with the lower libido is like, oh, I don't want to do it because then like I know it's going to just like turn into sex because it always does. But if you go into it and then you start doing it with like an open mind you might like actually start to get turned on and even if you're not aiming to orgasm or you're not intending to have sex at least you're engaging in this kind of like intimate thing with your partner 
and you're starting to get turned on. And this has kind of happened to me. Like I've kind of felt like cheated in and like, it's like, I'm like annoyed. I'm like, no, I went into this, like not <laughs> wanting to do it. And now I'm doing it, but I'm enjoying it. Fuck. Like, yeah. you know, and you start Why to get am in, I turned on now? And it's like, you're annoyed, but it's like, don't be annoyed about it. Just let it happen and enjoy it. And it can just like, it doesn't have to be a big deal. Go with what you're feeling. Like yeah. if you are suddenly turned on, then go with that. Yeah. If you're happy just taking a chiller and watching someone masturbate or doing whatever, just also follow your gut and follow those feelings too. Exactly. Yeah, like we've been saying, it doesn't have to just be orgasm, 60 minutes, the whole thing. You could just kiss and cuddle for 10 minutes. It could just be a bit of like grinding on each other clothes on. It could just be whatever is creating intimacy, physical intimacy between you and your partner, especially if they've got a higher sex drive and you're the person with the lower sex drive. You don't have to go, like we've been saying, all the way. Just, uh, you know, a little dabble here and there. What kind of sex does your partner want? So how are we defining sex? What is that? Another thing, Tanya talked us through being more open with our sex lives and finding the overlap with two people. It's basically where you can find a middle ground and compromise between you and your partner to find an amount of sex you can maybe see yourself agreeing on. And I I generally ask people, okay, how often would you like to be having sex? And I'd like you to answer that question twice for me. Once in an ideal world, and an ideal world, we don't live in a porn film. It's just a good day, week, month, year, where there's nothing getting in the way of us having sex. What would our sex life look like then? And then once in a good enough world, this is how much sex I need to survive, right? So in Amy's case, an ideal word for Amy might be once or twice a month, but good enough, she might be able to push it upwards to once a week, you know, like, oh, you know what, I could decide to rather than waiting to feel horny. In Amy's partner's case, it might be that um, an ideal world sex might be, you know, three or four times a week, but good enough, I might be able to cope with once a week right? So it's going to show us the stretch that each person has. Sometimes people say ideally three times a week and good enough three times a week. So they've got no stretch. That's what they want. That's what they're needing. And that's a lot harder to negotiate or look at the possibilities. But what we want to do is look for where the overlap is, because that's where the magic happens. We don't want to make anybody right or anybody wrong, you know, because often it depends who has the power in the relationship, whether somebody's frigid or a sex maniac. These things aren't helpful and aren't good. It's more like, okay, well, where do you two overlap? Let's talk initiation as well. Again, don't go into it with a negative mindset. If you're the person with the low or the high libido and you're trying to accommodate or work with your partner, keep yourself positive and open-minded. Basically, just don't be a dickhead about it. A lot of people are like, no, I suppose you don't want to have sex, do you? <laughs> That's not a very sexy. That is not very sexy at all. <laughs> no, that really invites the answer. No, I don't, you know. But if it's like, oh, my gosh, you look so cute. I'm wondering if there's a way that we can connect tonight and be a little bit sexy with each other. Is there something that would work for you? Um, that feels like we can explore possibility. And I think that's what we always want to do is, what is possible? Because I think when we're focusing here, it's we're focusing on what's not possible. Why aren't I normal? Why are our friends having more sex than us? What, what, you know, why a lot of the time with libido folks that come and see me, it's it's like, why can't I have this? Why aren't we doing that? And it's like, well, I don't know. I don't know the why's, but why are we focusing on that? Mm-hmm. And not what is possible. When you focus on what is possible, your pleasure will increase exponentially. 
and it's very very likely that you're going to have more sex very likely more pleasure more sex so rejection and that feeling of hurt and disappointment is something a lot of you got into our DMs about on this topic. And this is something that I can kind of relate to, Pip. So I'm not much of an initiator um, and in my past relationship, I remember I, there was one point in particular I initiated and it took like a lot of courage and then he said no and then I was like, well, I'll just go fuck myself then. <laughs> No, I basically was just like, well, I'm never doing that again. Like I was just, I don't know, I don't take rejection well. I like get really insecure and I was just like kind of just burnt and I was like, I'm not doing that again. I was just about to say that, that feeling of just burnt and you, yeah, you're, you're shy and you're scared off from ever trying. Well, we spoke to Hook Up listener Josie about this as well. Everything started really great and um, our libido's match, so it seems, and the sex we're having was really great. But all of a sudden recently, it's really dropped on my new partner's side. Um, I find that I'm the one always trying to initiate sex and it's not being reciprocated or I'm just getting no's and um, the rejection is pretty brutal. And I was just wondering if there's any advice on how to like broach the conversation or deal with that kind of um, rejection when it does happen. So how do you deal with that feeling? How do you deal with rejection? Here's Tanya. Understand that if your partner says no, it's not rejecting you, it's a no for sex. Maybe conversations about how important sex is for each of you and the role that it plays in your relationship could bring to light some differences or difficulties and give you a chance to focus on what is possible rather than what's not possible. So work out together how you can be intimate and what would work for both of you. So yeah, if you're feeling that rejection, don't put it back on them and say, you know, you never want to have sex, like why, what's going on for you, why is this happening? Make it about you. Basically, just like explain how you're feeling. You could say things like, hey, I'm feeling a little bit rejected. I'm feeling a little bit hurt. I'm not really sure what's happening here. Is there anything that I can do to make our sex life better? Or is there anything I can do to make sex better for you? And that way your partner won't get defensive. And yeah, you can have more of an open conversation about what's going on. And finally, before we wrap this up, Pip, the moment you've been waiting for. I know. This whole episode I've wanted to know, can you change your libido from like a biological standpoint? Because we obviously know that we can work on things and compromise and find a middle ground. Mm -hmm. But plan sex with your partner. That's right. Can you boost it? Well, Pip, this was something that Amy wanted to know as well. Being with someone who wants more, I want to want more for both of us. So is there a way that I can boost it? Well, of course, we asked Tanya and the answer is your set biological libido level can't really be changed, but you can work on it and change it over time. Slowly. Slowly. (laughs) (laughs) So's Pip. Sorry. The biological set point, not so much, but I think that we can, instead of starting from cold, live our life as a sexual simmer, right? So we're going to be kissing each other more and touching each other more and doing a little bit of dry humping on occasion and maybe taking a bath together or maybe this week I'll give you a massage, all sorts of things, Uh, but that keeps you 
at much more, keeps, keeps the temperature higher so it's easier to get to a nice rolling boil and get your sexy on than starting from cold going, oh, that feels like it's a long way away, big decision, have to do stuff. It's less appealing. Yeah, again, you got to do the work. Remember what Esther Perel always says, foreplay starts as soon as you finish having sex. What does that mean? Your face is so confused. I Have am. you never heard me say that before? No. I say it to all my friends. What's it mean? I'm like, babes, foreplay is all the time. It basically just means that foreplay is constant. Like, it's, you know. Are we foreplaying right now? We could be. Oh. Are you flirting with me? Ow. It's like the way you look at someone. It's the comments you make. It's, I don't know, you out at dinner with someone. It's like constant foreplay. I get it. If yeah, you want yeah. it to be, it can be. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yes. So you just got to find ways to make like your interaction with your partner or whatever, like a little bit more flirty, fun, and that can probably help build your libido as well. And like we were saying before, doesn't have to necessarily be like, bam, sex, 60 minutes. And orgasm doesn't have to be the destination. It's about the journey. Exactly. It's about the journey, not the destination. You can chat to your partner about what sex means to them and what sex means to you. And if your partner is someone who just wants to feel close to you, and sex is a way of doing that, then maybe you can meet in the middle and it's just like, hey, maybe we'll just patch for a little bit. <laughs> this is so crazy. You should do a podcast about this stuff. Sorry. I you actually really know a lot about this. Should I talk to this the This episode, I feel like there's been so many times where I've been like, what? I know. Huh? It's Limerence? <laughs> the fuck is that? It's been so fun watching your face. I'm such a dumb I feel really wise, even though I'm just not at all. Anyway, this podcast episode has been so much fun and obviously... And like always, a huge, huge thank you to you listening and to all of our incredible listeners who trusted us with their stories. You know, libido and mismatched libido and the stuff that you're going through in your relationship is so intimate and personal. And for you to share that with us just means so much. Um, You know, we chat to experts. You can trust us. If there's anything that you ever want to chat to us about, something you want to get off your chest, Uh, something that you feel insecure about, or maybe something you're just really curious about, get in touch with us. You can find us at Triple J The Hookup. Send us a DM. Or, like Amy did, you can email us at thehookup at At abc.net.au. So if you're a fan of The Hookup, you're definitely going to be a fan of one of our favourite podcasts, Ladies, we need to talk. They're back for another season and the stunning host, Yumi Steins, is here to tell us all about it. Hey, Yumi. Hey, Dee. Okay, so something a little bit different this year with ladies. You're mainly going to be focusing on sex, right? Yeah, because who doesn't like talking about sex so much? So this season, we're looking at things like becoming a later in life lesbian. We find out what sex is like with a disability, being asexual. And what we'd all love men to know about sex. Oh, yeah. That's something I think our listeners will definitely be tuning in for. Um, And myself as well. So recently we did an episode about a finger in the bum, the P-spot. But you're taking it to the next level. Yeah, we thought we needed to do this because it is about talking about things we don't really talk openly about. So we've got a whole episode on how to have anal sex and do it safely and with pleasure. 
will also be tuning in for that one. And I also hear that you visited a swingers club for a sex party. <laughs> Tell us all about that. How was it? Yeah, well, like I said, this season is all about sex. And we thought, like, swingers are real. There are enough swingers in Australia to sustain a whole kind of national sex club industry. So I thought I'd visit one in my home city. And it was actually... I don't even know where to start, Dee. It was mind-blowing and super cool. I went there on a women-only day. My heart started pounding in my chest even when it was empty before anyone had arrived. There was just an atmosphere of excitement and the forbidden. And as people started to arrive, they let me interview them and I asked one of the attendees who'd bought a ticket, you know, what it was like and how many times she'd orgasm. Last time I was here was quite a while ago actually because of COVID, um, but I was with five people and I had four orgasms. So you were there just to kind of view and watch and see what was happening? Yeah. Oh, my God. I know. It was so fucking hectic. And as soon as I left, I was like, I rang my best friend and I was like, we have to go to one of these nights. (laughs) Like, I was so hyped on it. I was like, this is happening. And then, you know, it's never happened. But, you know, it it was really incredible how you get the atmosphere kind of sells it to you. Like, you're like, yeah, I could do this. I could get naked in front of all these people. This is totally fine for me to do. Okay, I have also always wanted to do it, but I've been too scared. But maybe you'll convince me. (laughs) Well, the thing is, Dee, is that they will happily let you attend and keep your clothes on and not do anything. Like that's totally part, almost part of the initiation is there is no forced participation. Oh, I love that. I love that. So you can just watch and learn a few things at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) And I think people that do show up and do that get super horny. So the whole experience is positive for them anyway. Oh, I love that so much. Uh, What other saucy stuff have you got for us, Yumi, in this season? Okay, so we all have a friend who's had bad sex. You know, she might not be that frank about it, but you kind of can tell. So in one of the episodes, I'm going to introduce you to some women who have lived that and then traded in their shitty sex lives and upgraded to be having regular, mind-blowing, toe-curling, hair-crackling, next-level sex. I can identify different types of orgasms I have. They start in different parts of my body. It would appear that female ejaculation is a very real thing that happens to me. (laughs) I had to text my girlfriends one night and be like, squirting, that happens. Either that or I have just pissed the bed while I was having sex. What's our take? (laughs) Could everyone please just do a quick Google? All right, I'm sold. My friend's actually going through this right now. She broke up with her boyfriend of five years. Yeah. uh, And I'm really jealous hearing all her stories. So (laughs) sounds (laughs) super hot. Uh, If you want, you can find Ladies We Need to Talk in your ABC Listen app or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks so much, Yumi. Thanks, Dee.